So I'm curious, how was light an essential part of your Christmas experience? Like, for example, right after Thanksgiving, uh, my family would put up the Christmas tree, put lights in the house. Sometimes grudgingly, my dad would make me go outside the house and put them on. Uh, but what did you do uh, in your culture growing up? Growing up in a small town of the state of Sao Paulo in Brazil, most houses, they didn't really decorate with Christmas lights. So what we would do, we would take what we had. There was pretty much recycling bottles and the whole city would decorate the center of the town together. So we would get what we had, get in community and decorate. For me, growing up in Lagos, Nigeria, it's always uh, for Christmas Eve, we have a candlelight service. Everybody gathers around and uh, the whole light of the room is being turned off and we light the candles and we sing with our voice with no instrument. It's always powerful. Wow, sounds like Wow, I love that. I didn't grow up in another country, but I grew up as a child of Indian immigrants, and so our church was really our family. And we too had light as a part and candles as a part of our church experience. And so four weeks before Christmas, we would begin the celebration of Advent, where we'd light a candle for each week, representing hope, joy, love and peace. And then the final day on Christmas day, we would take all the candles and the priest would light the large white pillar candle, which would be called the Christ candle. And then from that, all the leaders of the church would go up and then they would light their candles. And then they would go into the community and the entire congregation, eventually all of our candles were lit. And it was such a beautiful representation of how Christ came into the world as the light of the world. And because of him, he made his light available to all of us. I don't know about you, but I, I think it's beautiful uh, to see what God is doing um, in the earth and that God began thousands of years ago. You know, over 2,000 years ago, Jesus came to the earth. This is what we're celebrating now. We can all be in unity now. Everybody's in agreement. It's Christmas season. Right? No need to write off your people on Facebook who started early. It's okay to put your tree up, all that kind of stuff. But what really is the heart behind it? So God sent his son and his son entered into the world. And I, I think one of the things we really want to bring home is that Jesus was not plan B. Jesus was always plan A. How he would enter into the world and bring the hope to humanity and, and help us reconnect to God the Father was always the plan for us, you and I, sons and daughters, to always be connected to God. And yet somehow, thousands of years later, the truth of who Jesus is still resonates in the earth. And so what you're going to see over the next few weeks is of videos like this last one we just saw of people gathering who, who call Gateway home, who, who, who've immigrated or moved or, or families brought them to the United States so they could have freedom, so they could explore what it looked like to be doctors and lawyers and all the things that maybe they couldn't do in their home country. And, and what are the things that unite us? And this first one is light. But in every culture, there's some sort of tradition around light. And yet, how in the world did Jesus come in as the light of the world and unite people that sometimes our culture tells us aren't able to be united? Groups of people and languages and cultures were not supposed to be, according to the culture, able to get along. And yet, like Ross said a few minutes ago, there's so much more that we have in common then we have different 
And yet, we, I do understand not everything's transferable across the world, right? For instance, how we greet one another can be different from one country to another. In some countries, you, you greet with a firm handshake. Other countries, it's a great big hug. Uh, other countries, you bow to one another. There's other countries you greet with a kiss. Sometimes you get two kisses. And if you're really lucky, you get a kiss on the lips. <laughs> but here's the deal. All of them have a core message really behind the greeting, and that is to connect one with another. I remember in, in high school and in college until I got married, actually, my wife was the last one my dad said this to. My dad is, he's awesome. He's funny. He's very, very Puerto Rican. He's the Puerto Rican who carries the flag and all that kind of stuff. And his backyard has a big Puerto Rican flag. And yes, it is true. It's not just a joke that people throw out there. And um, I would introduce him to, you know, a girl I was dating or whatever. And he always would say this. It was the most creeper thing ever. <laughs> because one, it, it was weird. And then two, it put the girl in an awkward situation. He would say, have you ever been kissed by a Puerto Rican? <laughs> I'm like, well, I can answer that for you. Uh, and, and they didn't know what to do. And, and then my dad would go in and give a kiss on the cheek and sometimes another kiss on the other cheek. And every once in a while, the girl didn't know what to do and they would land lip to lip. And it was just really awkward. I'm like, dad, you need to stop doing this. But really at the core of my dad's heart and the core of all of the things that are different from one culture to another, it is connection. It's the humanity in us trying to connect with others. It is really understanding what we're finding at Gateway. And, and that is just in our own microcosm of culture and of a faith community that there are hundreds of people who call Gateway home, who call our beautiful country home, who want to engage in these traditions and yet they have traditions of their own that at the core are very similar to what we try to do. And that's gonna be the beauty of this series. And so as we dive into this week one about one of the transferable truths that, that, that really comes across all cultures is the value of light. The value of light in every culture. And if you go back to, to early humanity, you know, the Neanderthals, the, 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 there was only two versions of light. There was the natural light that came from the sun and the moon and the stars that guided people at night or kind of brought, brought sh sunshine during the day. And then, and then there was fire. And fire was very utilitarian because they needed it for a lot of reasons, heat and, and cooking food, but it also brought light in and of itself. And so there is this, this, this need for light in our humanity. And yet it's expressed in beautiful ways. I, I'm sorry to tell you this, but you know, we weren't the first people to light up Christmas trees. That's a German tradition. And there's a tradition that the British have of lighting up their windows so the neighborhood can see their windows. And if you grew up in New Mexico, like I did, there's the, there's the Luminarias, right? And, and, and the, the bags with the light and you would light them up all on your, around your house or around stages. Then there's the lights that people light at, at, at this time of year for Kwanzaa or, 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 or for, you know, if you're in Jewish traditions, you know, the menorah, like there's so many important things. In my neighborhood, many like some of your neighborhoods, during certain seasons of the year, the Hindu tradition of Diwali and the importance of lights. And, and my kids were like, how come those families got their Christmas lights up way earlier than us? Because light, does matter and it plays a prominent role in celebrations. I mean, hello, you put light on dessert. 
No other time of the year do you put a fire on your dessert except when it's your birthday and then you spit all over it for everybody to eat. (laughs) Isn't it just beautiful? It went away for a long time during COVID, but it's back. Right? In our own ways, it's ridiculous, and yet it is the core of celebration, and it's no different for us when it comes to our Christian faith. The importance of light, the importance of fire in our Christian faith. So here we go. We're going to start off with John chapter 1. And uh, here's, here's what we're going to read about John's take on who Jesus is. And so let's read this together. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the word was God. And so when you see that, that term in the beginning, it literally means in the beginning, right? At creation. And then the word word is talking about Jesus, that he is the word of God. It's not your Bible, right? It's not your Bible. It is Jesus. So in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And he being Jesus was with God in the beginning and through him, all things were made. And without him, nothing was made that has been made. And in him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And then there was a man sent from God. This is not Jesus. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. And he came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all might believe. And he himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. And the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. And here's the truth for our day. The light of Jesus shines in the darkness and then transforms it. The light of Jesus shines in the darkness and then works and does supernatural work to transform that darkness. So based on this passage, there's a few truths we're gonna dive into. The first one is this. The light brings life to the world. The light brings life to the world. Now, it's just not a biblical perspective, right? It's that light really does change things. I mean, how many times have you walked into a room, you turn on the lights, maybe you're in college, maybe you're in your first apartment, maybe you're doing whatever you do. I remember the first time my family, we lived in Houston, Texas, and my wife was from the Midwest and she was not used to Texas. And uh, we moved into a house and we turned on some lights and we had some visitors. They were called Texas cockroaches. If you're new to Texas, welcome. They're part of our greeting committee. Well, my wife's in the Midwest. And in the Midwest, if you have cockroaches, that means you have have a house that should be just confiscated, right? People should take over your house. You should not live there. I'm like, honey, this is Texas. You can spray, but you're going to find a bug here and there. She's like, no, where I come from, we do not have. I'm like, well, you're not where you're from. You're in not just Texas, you're in Houston, Texas. The bugs, the cockroaches fly here. (laughs) And it was really demoralizing for my wife. One time we're on our way to church. We had our house sprayed and they said, you know, might have some bugs that come out and die. It's going to be fine. 
We're on our way to church. We're in a hurry. First thing in the morning on a Sunday, we see a cockroach. I was going to say little. It was huge, right? It's about two and a half inches. It was a big cockroach. And, and we were in a hurry. I said, I will get it as soon as we get home. We go out the door. We come home. We're making lunch. We're doing our thing. And all of a sudden, we forget that we have a two-year-old. And all I hear is, you're welcome right now. And if you're online, I wish you could see the faces of the people in this room. And we turned and little Bella has a little leg sticking out of her mouth. And I'm like, my bad. You asked me to pick that up, didn't you? See, it happens to all of our families, right? It just happens. Why did I tell that crazy story? Because what lives in the darkness? It's those very things that sometimes we can laugh about and yet can keep us up at night. And then the light shines and it exposes. And so that's what happens. The light comes into the world and it exposes things. And in the beginning, it exposed chaos. It exposed the void that existed. And yet God brought light into the world to expose the chaos, to then form and to shape the chaos into his likeness. So the light brings life to the world and God was creating something that was beautiful so much that scripture says that God stepped away when he was done creating and called it good. In my manuscript, I wrote down the word perfection, that it was perfect. But I was talking with one of our pastors this week and he was like, do we really wanna use the word perfect when we talk about God's creation, when we talk about the beginning, when we talk about the Garden of Eden, which if you were here a few weeks ago, we talked about the beginning we want to use the word perfection? And we talked about it theologically for a few minutes. And I said, you know why I think I used the word perfection in my manuscript that we were wrestling through? It's not that God stepped back and called it perfect. He stepped back and called it good. And good things can get better. They can evolve and they can grow. I think the reason why I wrote it as a pastor, as a leader and working with people is sometimes our humanity kicks in and we think about the beginning and we project that it must have been perfect. Because we're in this endeavor. We're on this search. We're on this treasure hunt for perfection. And yet, God didn't really create perfection. He created something that was good. And he called it good because light invaded the world. And sometimes if we're not careful, we will fight against that. And yet we're fighting against the very thing we want, which is light. I'm gonna to talk to you to mostly men on this subject. Um, there's a reason why a lot of men don't like going to the doctor. And if you're married right now, now's the time to elbow your husband and all that kind of stuff. Yes, you can encourage him. Because my, uh, my wife is doing that to me right now. I hate going to the doctor. Why would I like voluntarily subject myself to somebody just, touching me in a way I don't want to be touched and probing my body and telling me only bad news. Why do, you, why do we subject ourselves to the dentist? When we get lockjaw and all you can hear is them going into your mouth and scraping your teeth, we do it because the light that they bring to our body 
the light that they bring to the dark parts that we cannot see actually can bring life to us. And I say that, and here I am struggling with it. I'm not sick. I don't have anything major going on, but I am 46 years old, a young 46 years old, mind you. But I'm still 46. And I I don't like when they sit there and their glasses are on the end of their nose and they're looking at their paper and they're just like, "Mm, mm, mm," and they're making noise. Stop making noises. We don't need sound effects when you're reading what's happening with my body. Just don't. Just tell me what's going on. But I avoid it. So I finally went to the doctor. I'm going to, you know, bring light to what's happening in my body. I did a full physical and did the blood work and all that kind of stuff. And I went, I even went back to the doctor for the follow-up. Aren't you proud of me? Because some of us don't even do that. Went for the follow-up. Then they said, we need to go visit three other doctors so that you can like, no, this is the system. This is the man trying to, this is you wanting to make money. And I haven't been back since. (laughs) I hit my quota for the year, two. But what we, we laugh, why? Because there's a nervousness about allowing light to expose the darkness. But really when we're all truly wanting is the life that comes with the light. And that's the light of Jesus. You, you know, we, throughout scripture, you see this. You see the, the importance of light. In the Old Testament, you see the burning bush and yet it doesn't consume the fire. It doesn't consume the bush, but it is this light by which God then speaks to Moses because wouldn't that get your attention if you're walking and your bush is on fire in your front lawn, right? And you're like, oh my gosh. And then God begins to speak to you. Wouldn't that get your attention? And then, and, and then we see a, a, the pillar of fire that the Israelites are following. See, there's these stories throughout the Old Testament that really get people's attention. And you get to the New Testament and over and over you see this light, but the light that matters most is the light that entered into the world in this season that we're celebrating when Jesus comes in to the chaos and the darkness of our world. And he brings in the light and what we could call the proverbial darkness, what's happening in the world, babies being killed, people fighting against people, all sorts of things happening. That's when Jesus inserts himself into the story. And then we see him insert himself at a manger in Bethlehem. There's no true pomp and circumstance that you would think when the son of God is going to enter into the world. He was not born into a castle. He was not born to a bunch of people who have royal noble blood. No, he was born very simply to a teenage girl, her loyal husband, who had a lot of questions about how did you get pregnant, girl? And a bunch of shepherds. And that is how God introduced light and his substance into this, new, to this world he's wanting to, show, to shape and to form and continuing to do so after thousands of years. The scripture says this, in him, Jesus, in him was life. And the life was the light of all mankind. See, we didn't get to choose if Jesus came or didn't come. And we don't get to choose 
and didn't get to choose when he was born. And we don't get to choose if people are gonna celebrate Christmas or not. We don't get to choose if people are going to believe in Jesus or not. And if you're here exploring who God is, this is a safe place for you to do that. Maybe you have questions around all this stuff. It's totally okay. It is normal. We don't get to control the outcome. But you know what we do get to control? We get to control how we respond to the light. That is something we get to control. And if we choose to believe in the light, if we choose to believe that Jesus is the light, there's some amazing things that begin to transform and transpire in our lives. And First Peter chapter two says this in verse nine, but you, for those who believe in the light, who accept the light of Jesus, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. And once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. And once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. When we allow the light of who Jesus is to truly shine in our hearts and our souls and everything about our life, we then walk into a season of mercy and becoming something we weren't before because the light brings life to the world. The other truth, the next truth that we learned from this passage from John chapter one that we read earlier is that the light has witnesses who believe. The light has witnesses who believe. So let's, let's, read, let's go back to John chapter one. And it says this, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. And he came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all might believe. Now he himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. And this passage is making it as clear as possible. We as humans are not the light. John was not the light. Carlos, John Burke, pastors, leaders, people up front, we are not the light. We are mere witnesses to the light and the effect and the life that the light brings. And our job is to shed light on the light, is to be witnesses to, of what is transpiring, what is taking place, to truly love everyone life by life. Why? Because we have been loved in that way because of the light of Jesus us being transformed and shaped. Now, there's a story in the New Testament of a man named Saul, and he was a religious leader, and he's, 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 he's just doing his thing, and he sees all these people who are radical Christ followers, and they're, they're ruining everything. They're ruining everything. And so he begins to persecute them and gets permission to chase down these people who are followers of Jesus, and, and in that journey of trying to track down all these people who are followers of Jesus to shut them down because they are, they are wrong. They are not people of the light. They are people of darkness because the religious leaders said, we control the light. And we gotta know we can't control the light. We're not, we're not the people at the door getting to decide who gets the light and who doesn't get the light. And, and let me pause there real quick. I know there are some of us who maybe attended a church or you've heard stories around church life and that's what you experience or that's what you've heard in culture is that there are these gatekeepers who decide who gets to see the light and who doesn't get to see the light. 
The light is not something we get to control. The light is something that we are mere witnesses of. And yet Saul is coming from a group of religious leaders who are trying to control what we would call the good news and who gets access to the good news and the rules you must follow to get the good news. And on this journey to persecute all these people, here's what happens. Acts chapter 22. He's told this by people after he has this encounter. He, he, he's going along the way and he gets encounter, he has this encounter with, um, you're gonna hear this word more today than your entire life, a light. He gets knocked off his horse and he has this encounter and, and everybody around him can see the light, but they can't hear what he hears. And all he hears is Jesus saying, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Why are you coming after the life? Why are you coming after the light? And he himself begins to experience a true light, not the light of religiosity, not the light of what I should do and not do, not the light because there is no light in rule following, but the true light of Jesus Christ. And when he has this encounter, these people come around him and here's how, what they, how they encourage him. Verse 14, the God of our ancestors has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear words from his mouth. In verse 15, you will be his witness to all people of what you have seen and heard. And now what you are waiting for. What are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, wash your sins away, calling on his name. Here he is, this person who just had this encounter with the light, who's just learning about the light. And these other people who have seen the light before him saying, see, God is allowing you to see a light that you couldn't see before. You are called to be a witness. And being a witness is truly important in this season. And you're the first witnesses were outside of Mary and Joseph to Jesus. Bunch of men, blue collar, who had no status in culture. And yet God chose them to be the first witnesses of the light of Jesus. We're reading a lot of scripture today. It's okay, it's good for you. Here we go, Luke chapter two. And when the angels had left them, this has been the, the, the shepherds, and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. In verse 17, when they had seen him, this is really important. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told to them about this child. Hold on real quick. Everybody hold on with, with that verse. Yeah, let's get the mental picture here. These angels show up to these shepherds and tell them about this baby Jesus being born. Now, I don't know about you, but if I'm gonna feel by myself and these angels show up, I'm gonna tell everybody, you're not gonna believe this. You are not gonna believe what I saw. They didn't do that. You know what they said? We have to see it for ourselves. We've got to witness it for ourselves. And so then it says, when they had seen him, when they saw the light of the world enter into the world, 
they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherd said to them. But Mary treasured all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen were just as they had been told. They were witnesses to the light. I don't know how many of you are, are big time evangelists of things that you love. I was gonna bring it out here, but I figured if I open the bag, it's gonna get me in trouble. I'm an evangelist for thing, things I love. You know my favorite thing right now is? It's so not good for me. But you know what? You know, if some of you Pringles is your thing. You open one Pringle, you know, the commercial and you eat the whole can. I don't care about Pringles. You know what I care about? Nerd clusters. Listen, don't try it. I'm hooked. And they sell me these little bags and they're only a dollar. So I convinced myself, oh, it's only a dollar. It's only a little bag, except I buy four bags of them. And then I tell everybody about them. And then I buy bags and I hand them to people. And I'm like an evangelist for nerds candy. I'm a witness. It changed my life. It has a gooey middle. You know the nerds you grew up with? It's even better. Now it's 20 nerds together with a gooey. See, this is what I do. Because I have been a witness of a life-changing candy that I want you to experience. And it's an experience because once you eat it from the top of your head to the bottom of your feet, oh my gosh, your life is going to be changed. And guess what? You do the same thing because I see you on Facebook. Oh my gosh, you have to go to this coffee shop. Oh my gosh, you got to try this restaurant. Oh my gosh, you should try this makeup being my pyramid scheme that I'm part of. You should do this. You should do that. Right? We're all witnesses to something. So it's not far-fetched. Think about it. It's not far-fetched that if we share the goodness of the things of our life with our friends and family, that God would want us to be witnesses for the very thing that brings life, Jesus. And that he would use the lowly things of this world, the subjugated people, the marginalized people to say, we have seen it and it is good. It is good. This is how it works. He uses us in this way. Do you understand what it means for you to be a witness today? Do you understand what that means? That you get to experience and see something and tell others about that very thing that changed your life. And I know I'm making fun of nerds candy, but guess what? I bought a bag yesterday. Now I'm trying to be good. I keep buying them and they're stored up and I'm not eating them right now. But one day I'm going to go on a bender. I'm going to eat all five bags I have stored up. But we all have this capacity to share the good things in our life. And yet, do we understand that this is the best goodness in your life? It is life. The light of Jesus brings life. And how do we know this? Because there's going to be songs we sing in this season. Here's my challenge for you. If you're watching online or in the room, listen to the words in this season of the songs that we sing. Some of these songs have been around for over a hundred, most of them, over a hundred years. And why do, they, why do they pass the test of time? Because the context, the power, the gravitas that some of these words have really could shape our lives. 
And here's one you're going to hear over and over. And I wanted us to read it. Now I'm going to say it over us. And when we think about Jesus and him entering into the world, and here we go, long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. Think about that. I'm not going to sing it because that would ruin it. (laughs) A thrill of hope. The weary world rejoices for yonder. That's not a Texas word. I'm sorry. Yonder just means beyond. On the horizon. It's coming. For yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. Do you feel that way? When you think about Jesus, do you feel that way? And I know some of us are exploring, so we don't feel that way. We're trying to figure out if it is the way, if this is true. But for many of us who do believe, is that how you feel? Does your soul feel the worth of the life of Jesus that has come into your life? If it does not, I'm going to propose, maybe you don't know Jesus in the way you should know Jesus. If your soul doesn't feel the worth to the point where you must tell somebody of the goodness of the life and the light of Jesus, I wonder if you've had a Saul experience and he hasn't quite knocked you off your horse yet. Because when you get knocked off your horse and you see the light and you feel the life and you feel that your soul feels its worth and there's a thrill of hope because your weary world is rejoicing because yonder breaks, there's coming something, a hope. That is when you've experienced the light and the life of Jesus. If it's just a song to you, I invite you to let it be more than that. The last thing we learn is this, the light overcomes darkness. So as the light of Jesus enters the world, darkness doesn't just go away and make a way for Jesus. Oh, we give up. Jesus is in the world. It's over. Don't you wish? Don't you wish with your addiction, you could just say, oh, I've acknowledged the problem. I have now said I'm an alcoholic. Guess what? It's never coming back. Wouldn't that be nice if all you had to do was just acknowledge it? Wouldn't it be nice when you're fighting with your spouse or your girlfriend or your boyfriend or your parents or whoever it is, if you just said, you know what, I'm wrong. And I know they tell you that, right? Just acknowledge you were wrong. Okay, I'm wrong. See, I've been trying to tell you. And they go on for 30 minutes. You said all you wanted was for me to acknowledge I was wrong. That's not how it works. There's work that has to be done and Jesus enters the world. And as he enters the world, there's so much work for him to do. He's questioned by religious leaders. He has people he loves who are trying to protect him. I've shared this story before. The people around him, when he says, I must now go to the cross. They're like, Carlos, it's Christmas. It's not Easter yet. It's okay. It's fine. As he projects one day, he's going to die on a cross. The people around him love him and they say, no, no. And yet Jesus has to rebuke even the people who have good intentions. Matthew 16, verse 23, Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. Peter, he says this to Peter, who's gonna help build the church and write part of the New Testament. Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Why? Because darkness fights in all of us. 
even the apostles who were living with Jesus day in, day out. And Jesus is entering in this world and he works to overcome darkness, death, evil, sin, separation from God by entering into it for us. He entered into it for us. He came not to just be born so that we could have Christmas one day. He came so that one day he could say he lived like us. He took on flesh and he went to the cross in perfection, having no sin to take on our sin and our shame and that he would go into the depths of the earth and go into evil itself and conquer evil and to gain the keys of hell so that we would not have to do that. That is the goodness of Jesus. He didn't just come to be a sweet baby Jesus, to be a cultural joke in a movie. He came to bring life into the world that through his death, life would overcome darkness that his light would bring order to the chaos. And so we're faced with this, a question for ourselves from John chapter three. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. In verse 17, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God. It's one and only son. So listen to this, verse 19. This is the verdict. We're on trial here. This is the verdict for you and for me. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. For everyone does not does evil, hates the light, and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. Whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. What kind of people are we today? What is the verdict today for you and for me? Are we people who love the light? Or are we people who love the darkness? And John chapter three says there's really only two kinds of people, people who love the light and people who love the darkness. And people who love the darkness, it's not that they want to live in sin. It's not that they want to have these lives that are broken down. It's just we're afraid of being exposed. And yet that fear should be washed away when we understand in the light is love. In the light is life. And no, we might love the light. There are times we step back into darkness and we have to choose what is the verdict for you? What is the verdict for me? How are we daily living our lives? In the light? or in the darkness. We've all sinned. We all have deeds we're guilty of, but what do we do with those things? Maybe you were sober for a year and you had a bad weekend this weekend. Guess what? Come back into the light. Come on, just come back into the light. This is the beautiful truth of the light of Christ. The light is for everyone. You don't have to believe it. At some point, when you see the light, you can't deny it. That there is life that comes from Jesus. And somehow, this light and this love, this transferable truth to every people group, every people, every country, every continent, every context, this light, this value brings life to you 
good to me. Let's pray real quick. God, thank you for my brothers and sisters. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you that we all have access to you in a really profound way. And that your light isn't just like a light switch we turn on and off. Your light, when it turns on, brings life. It exposes things. And so God, as, as we ask what the verdict is today, would we be people who would love the light? That we would be people who would be witnesses of that light. And we would allow you and your life to shape us, to mold us, to make us different. And God, as we hear this song, we would have to take a couple minutes to allow you to do some work in our hearts and in our minds. It's in Jesus' name we pray all this.